If you will, take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and we will read verses 35 through 37. And the Word of God says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his own soul? I want to start by telling a story about a little boy. In the 1950s, many other boys around him, he was a bit of a troublemaker. The little boy was, was the biggest rascal around. He, he was always getting into trouble, and, and everyone seemed to know this little boy on the street that he grew up on. Everyone knew that when this little boy showed up, that trouble was about to happen, probably. Probably more than likely, he was a little bit louder than everyone else. And uh, everyone seemed to know who he was. Everyone seemed to be ready for what he was about to do. This little boy had a little bit of a hard and difficult home life. Not a picturesque Rockwell painting, you might say. He grew up going to the denomination down the road, but his family really wasn't serious about faith. They, they really weren't too serious about uh, their attendance or about following uh, God's word or, or anything like that. They went to to church from time to time at the denomination down the road. And after a while, there was a neighbor next door. Her name was Angelita Bryant. And Angelita and Ray, they, they started to take an interest in the little boy. They took, them in, they took him in basically as their own. They started to look over him and watch after him and, and make sure that, that he had everything he needed. And, and they started to, to really take care of this boy. And Angelita basically became a second mother to the boy. You know, the boy, he really loved sports. And he really loved to go and, and to watch the ball games. But he didn't have a ride. His older brother played sports. And so... He didn't have a way to go watch his older brother. And so Angelita made a deal. She said to the little boy that if you will come to church with us on Sunday, we'll be sure to get you to the ball game on Saturday. And to the young boy, that was a no-brainer. The young boy said, absolutely, and so they struck a deal. So Angelita and Ray took the little boy to worship. For years, this would happen. He would go to worship with Angelita and Ray, and, and that little boy became a teenager. And when that little boy became a teenager, he was learning more and more about God's Word. And what amazed him is, is that when he went to worship with Ray and Angelita, everyone had their Bible. When he went to Bible class, everyone was sitting around looking at their Bible, and, and everyone had a Bible, and, and not only that, everyone knew how to flip to the correct page in the Bible, and, and everyone seemed to not only 
know the facts. Everyone seemed to know God at this place. You see, Ray and Aunt, and Ray, Ray and Angelita were, were, were Christians. They, they worshiped at the Church of Christ. And, and so every single time that, that this little boy would go to worship with Ray and Angelita, he, he left learning something that he had never heard before, where he usually went to church. Everywhere, every single time he went, they had their Bibles open studying God's Word. And that amazed the little boy. The church became a, a bit of a safe place for the boy. So he felt more safe at the church of Christ than, than pretty much anywhere else in the world. He, he, he loved the people at the church because they loved and cared about him. And so this little boy continued to grow and he became a, a, about 18 years old. And when the boy was 18 years old, he was worshiping one day back at the denomination, you see. He didn't really want to upset his parents, upset his family too much by, by becoming a New Testament Christian, by becoming a member of the church. But when he was 18 years old, he was back in that Bible class at the denomination down the road. No one had their Bibles. No one was studying from God's Word. And in fact, the class that day seemed to be just talking about the Church of Christ. In the class that day, they were talking trash about the Church of Christ. They were talking about how bad the Church of Christ was. And, and this, this, this young man now, this 18-year-old, had had enough. And he stood up in the middle of the class and he told the teacher they didn't know what they were talking about. That that is not the people that he had grown to love. That this description of the Church of Christ was could not be further from the truth that, that these people actually loved him and, and actually cared for him and, and took, the, took him in as their own all these many years. And then he looked at the teacher and said, what, is, what, what are we supposed to be doing right now? This is called Sunday school and, and no one has a Bible. When I'm at the Church of Christ, everyone has a Bible and everyone is studying from it and everyone knows the Bible. So the young man left the denomination that day and he never went back. That very day he went to the Church of Christ down the road and he was baptized for the remission of his sins, putting on Christ in baptism. And to this very day that, that young man is a faithful New Testament Christian. He never returned to the, to the denomination down the road. But what if I were to tell you that that little boy became a gospel preacher? What if I were to tell you that that, that young man became a gospel preacher and dedicated his entire life to furthering the gospel of Christ? What if I told you that that little boy grew up to preach the gospel in 41 countries of the world. What if I told you that that, that that young man, because of the goodness of God, was able to help establish 138 congregations all around the world? What if I told you because of, of, of the goodness of God that that young man 
wound up helping 16,000 souls be baptized into Christ. What if I told you that young man, this little boy, was my grandfather, Demar Elam? All because one couple saw one little boy and made it their life's mission to see him be baptized into Christ. One soul is all that matters. Demar Elam is the reason I'm standing up here today. Because of, of his faithfulness and because of, of his example, because of the way he raised my mother who then raised me and, and inspired me to, to do what I do and to commit my life to Christ and, and whoever I am able and the Lord blesses me to touch and, and to affect in, in my life, it will be because of Angelita Bryant who saw a little boy that was without hope of ever understanding the gospel. And because of Angelita Bryant understanding the value of one soul, that one soul wound up being the conduit that God used to bring thousands to Christ. I have a question for you today. I have a question for every single one of us to think about. How much is one soul worth? How much is one single, solitary, individual soul worth? How much value does God place on one single soul? Is, is there a financial price to be paid for one single soul? Is there a, a value? Is, is there an earthly possession that, that you could give in exchange for it? Can our finite minds even, even understand or comprehend the value of one single soul. I think we're all familiar with what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, part of our scripture reading by Brother Todd. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, Jesus himself says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. You know, I think we see this verse, and I think we understand that there is absolutely, positively nothing worth losing your soul over. I think that's what we usually looked at this text, and we understand it. I think we get it. But a lot of times, I think we look at this passage, and we think about the sin that, in, that is involved in, in becoming lost. And we think about our own soul, Right? We think about, well, I, I better make sure that I'm doing everything I can do not to lose my own soul. And I think that's, that's natural for us to look at this text that way. But this morning, I want to look at this text a little differently. 
instead of, of looking at this text and thinking about your soul, I want you to look at this text and think about another soul. And I want to ask the question, what will a man give in exchange for another soul? Or maybe we need to ask it like this, what will it profit a man if, if he gains the whole world and loses the souls that were around him every single day? question this morning is what are you willing to do to save a soul from eternal death what are you willing to do for a lost soul in the same way that, that we look at this passage and we think about our own soul and we say that there is absolutely nothing that should get in between us and our salvation. We should look at this text today and say that there is absolutely nothing that should keep me from helping some other soul see the kingdom of God can see this in the book of Acts. If you go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 9 for a large section of this, uh, our time together today. Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin right there in verse 1. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found anyone that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem bound. Here we see that Saul of Tarsus has set himself apart as, as Jerusalem's number one hater of Christianity. He has gone out of his way on his own accord to go to the high priest so that he can have all the legal permission in the world to snuff out Christianity as much as he possibly could. He says, I, I don't care if they're a man, I don't care if they're a woman, I don't care if I know them, I don't care if I don't know them. I don't care if they have a family, I don't care what background they have, all I care is that if they claim this Jesus guy, I'm going to bring them to Jerusalem in chains. It was Saul. It was Saul. It says that Saul was, was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. We know if, if you've been worshiping with us long or if you've been studying God's word long, you know what happens to him on the way to Damascus. You know that on the way to Damascus to, to literally bring Christians in, he, he is confronted with this blinding light. This blinding light, this vision of Jesus that tells him to stop persecuting the way. And the text picks back up in verse 10. In verse 10, the Bible says, Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
text continues in verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. Ananias is saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, you want me to go to Saul? You want me to go to Saul, this guy who, who literally has the legal authority to bind me and my family up and take us to Jerusalem to be put in prison or even murdered? Jesus, I, don't, don't you remember that, that it wasn't too long ago that, that Saul stood by and oversaw the stoning of your servant Stephen? And you want me to go to, to Damascus to talk to him? It's a well-known fact that, that Saul hates people like me. That Saul hates you. That Saul hates the church. And that if it were up to him, the church would cease to exist. But now you're telling me? You're commanding me to go to him? Saul of Tarsus? Why would I ever do that? I don't care how much he's praying, Jesus. Why would I ever talk to Saul? And that's why Jesus said, for one, he called Saul. He said for him to go to Damascus because there was one called Saul. And that was reason enough for Ananias to take the risk. Because there was one soul called Saul. And that's why Jesus says for him to go to Damascus. He was to go to Damascus for one called Saul and all it takes is one. The text continues in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I was probably thinking, Saul? A chosen vessel? What makes you think that Saul, this Pharisee of Pharisees, is ever going to go and take the gospel to Gentiles? What makes you think that, that Saul of Tarsus would, would ever go and take the gospel to the children of Israel, these people that want to see us dead? What makes you think that Saul of Tarsus would, would ever suffer for the gospel Christ. You see, Jesus, Jesus understood the value of one soul. You see, because when Jesus saw Saul, he saw Paul. When everyone else around Saul only could see Saul for who he was and what he had done, Jesus looked at him and actually saw Paul and what Paul could be and what Paul would do for the kingdom of God. 
When Jesus looked at Saul, he didn't see what he had been, where he had been and what he had done. He saw what he could do and what he would do. So he says, if Ananias, if we can just get this one. If we can just get this one soul. The gospel is about to be spread more than it ever could have been without him. So go. Go to him. Verse 17 picks up. And Ananias went his way and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately these, th th there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Text continues. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for the same purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. Saul. Saul, who, who was breathing threats and murder in this very chapter, in a matter of days, was preaching Christ as the Son of God. What if I told you that this, this Saul became Paul, who then went on to establish congregations all throughout Asia Minor, who then went on to, to, to write half of the New Testament all because Ananias saw the value of one soul. I have a question for you this morning. What if Ananias said no? Now, of course, because Saul was this chosen vessel of Jesus, of the gospel, of, of, the, of, of Christ, I'm sure Jesus would have sent someone else, but... But let's just hypothetically imagine that Ananias had said, no, I'm not going to go. No, no, God, I'm not going to go and talk to this murderer about Jesus. I don't have the time. I, it's too big of a risk. It's too uncomfortable for me to go and talk to him about the gospel. And I don't know if we realize this from the Acts telling of the uh, Acts 9 telling of the conversion but we learn a whole lot more about Ananias's influence when Paul retells the story in Acts chapter 22 turn to Acts chapter 22 you're going to see in verse 12 that Ananias had much more to do with this conversion than Acts 9 reveals in Acts chapter 22 you're going to see this it says then a certain man Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there he came to me and he stood and said to me brother Saul receive your sight in that same hour I looked up at him and then he said the God of your fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
You see, when you look at that passage, you can see Ananias had a whole lot more to do and a whole lot more to say than what Acts 9 reveals. Acts chapter 22 reveals that, that it was Ananias who revealed what God's plan for Saul was. That it was Ananias who taught him the gospel. That it was Ananias who compelled him to arise, to be baptized, to wash away his sins. All because one soul cared enough about another soul. That it didn't matter how much risk was involved. It was worth the time. It was willing to risk whatever it took to win this soul to Christ. And the rest is history. You know, we turn the Bible to one of the most popular passages in all the world. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, we look at that passage and we think about God's love to mankind from a, a large perspective, right? Because it says he loves the whole world. And he does. But you know what else we get from that text? We get the fact that God loves one soul. Just as much as he loves all the world. If God loves all the world, it means he loves each one in the world. I have a question. I have another question for you. If you were the only soul in need of saving, do you think God would have sent Jesus? Oh, no, surely not. I mean, surely, I mean, all that Jesus went through, there, there's no way that, that he would leave the throne room of heaven and, and come down to earth and, and, and go through all of the suffering and all of the persecution and all of, of, of the things that he had to suffer for, for just me. I mean, maybe if it was just five of us, maybe if it was ten of us, but if it's just me, Brothers and sisters, Jesus would have come. Jesus would have left the throne room of heaven. He would have come down and, and taken on the form of a bondservant, taken on the form of a man, and died on the cross if it was only one soul. You look at John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, could have been the fact that no one did, but just one person. And God would take that trade any day. Because that's the value of one soul. This morning, as we think about Jesus, Jesus came specifically to seek and to save the lost. That is why he came. However, would obey. However, many would obey. 
Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15 and verse 10 that, that the entire angelic host rejoices over one sinner that repents. You know, I think we understand the value that God places on a soul. The question I have for you today is, what value do you place on the souls around you? What value do you place on the souls that are around you? What are you willing to do? What, what are you willing to sacrifice to save their soul? Are you willing to give up your time? Are you willing to give up your comfort? Are you willing to do anything and everything to save just one lost soul? In April of 1942, Desmond Doss joined the United States Army. Doss was a very religious man, and, and he, because of, of the way he viewed thou shalt not kill, he couldn't see himself taking another man's life. But he wanted to serve his country. He loved his country. and He wanted to protect his country the best way he knew how. But the only way he could do that was through two positions, either a chaplain or a medic. Most medics carry with them a handgun so that if they find themselves in behind enemy lines, if they find themselves in a way that they need to... Uh, uh, protect themselves or defend themselves in some way that, that they can do that. But not Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector, refused to carry a gun. And Desmond Doss was in the most brutal war of mankind ever knew, with absolutely no way to protect himself. And it was in Okinawa in 1945 that Desmond Doss became a legend. Desmond Doss was in Okinawa, and they were at what is known as Hacksaw Ridge. It was this 400 feet high cliff that, that the Americans were trying to maintain control over, and, and more and more Americans were dying on Hacksaw Ridge. It got to the point that, that the Americans were, were told, we got to retreat, we got to get out of here, we got to leave. Whoever is up on the ridge, we got to leave them behind because the fire is too heavy and the loss is too great. That's when Desmond Doss said, I'm not leaving. I've got men out there that are lost without me. I've got men out there who are trapped and have no hope in the world if I don't intervene. And so slowly but surely over the next few days, Desmond Doss would take trips into battle, into fire. He actually had shrapnel. He was actually shot by a sniper at once, and he continued to go and to save lives. And he would drag them back to the American lines, and he would lay there in exhaustion. And this is a true story. Every single time he brought one back, he looked up at the sky and he said, Lord, please. Help me get one more. Desmond Doss wound up saving 75 people. 75 people who were hopelessly lost and trapped with no help, no aid, no medic, unless Desmond Doss showed up. 
This morning, I want you to think about someone in your life that you know is lost. I want you to think about someone in your life that you know has never become a Christian. In front of you, there are cards. It might be in a song book, it might be in a Bible, it might be taken from a kid, but find a card. Find a card for me this morning. I want everybody to get that card right now. Pick it up. I want you to look at the card. On the front it says, who is your one? On the back of the card is an opportunity for you to write a name down. I want everyone in this auditorium to think of someone that you know is lost. You know that you're the only one that can intervene. And I want you to write their name down. I'm going to write mine down. This card is a physical representation of what your mission should be the rest of the year. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells us that we are to put God's word on the forefront of our minds, that it will be uh, 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 frontless between our eyes, that we are to write it on the doorposts of our gates and on our houses and every, everything we look at. This year, I want you to make this soul that same way. I want you to put this card in your wallet. I, I want to see it on the back of your phone. I, I want you to put it in the dashboard of your car. I, I want to hear about it on, on your mirror in the morning. I want you to think about this soul every single time that you wake up. Every single time that, that you go down to sleep. And when you walk by the way. And as you look at this soul's name. As you look at their name right now that you have written with your own hand. What are you willing to do to save them? What are you willing to do to make sure that they go to heaven? What are you willing to give up in order to win them to Christ? Because brothers and sisters, they are trapped. They have absolutely no hope of a home in heaven until you show up. And until you decide that you're going to make a difference in their life. This year we're going to be bringing our one to this event. Bringing our one to that event. Bringing our one to worship. Bringing our one to a fellowship. Bringing your one. Because all it takes is one. And let me just say, if you're going to miss a Sunday night, don't let it be tonight. Because tonight... We're going to talk about exactly how we're going to get this one. Tonight we're going to talk about how we're going to win them to Christ. But this morning, as you think about your life and you think about your soul, perhaps there's someone here that needs to obey the gospel. Perhaps there's someone here that, just like Ananias said, they need to arise and be baptized and, and wash away their sins, calling on the name of the Lord.
Maybe there's someone here this morning that, that has forgot their own value as a soul. Maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to get their life right before they go out and try to save another's. Whatever the case might be, would you come as together we stand and sing for your encouragement?